Forgotten History is presented by State Farm. Getting great car or home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate? Well, that's just like talking the biggest names in NFL history and hearing their untold stories. It's the real deal. So choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know, here on the East Coast and really across the country, McDonald's isn't just a global restaurant, it's a local one as well. Just like how the guests on this show aren't just major Hall of Fame athletes, they're stars and celebrities, but people that work inside each of their communities. McDonald's are owned and operated by people who live in those communities. And when you eat at McDonald's, you're actually supporting American businesses, maybe even your neighbor's business. The McDonald's franchises also care about the communities that they live and work in. They give back by helping first responders and of course supporting local Ronald McDonald charity chapters. When you own a McDonald's, you are committed to serving the community where you do business. McDonald's, serving here. Can you imagine the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s and the things that you got away with and put up with in the age of social media? How would have that played out? I don't know if we would have had enough players to actually line up and play on Sunday. You know, if I tell all the stories, I'm incriminating myself. Hey everybody, Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another edition of Half Forgotten History. So Half Forgotten History is pretty simple. We take a little glass of Maker's Mark, bring in that, someone that we know and love very well, and tell some of the great stories about the NFL and sports that you, you never heard of. All these things are fun, but some days are better than others. And I have a feeling today, it's gonna to be one of those days. There are three kinds of people you work with, right? There are your coworkers, there are your friends, then over time to the guys that become your boys. Yeah, sure. And my guest on this week's edition of his mom boy, Darren Woodson. You know him, of course, as a three-time Super Bowl champion, all-time leading tackler of the Dallas Cowboys. And one day I firmly believe the wearer and owner of a gold jacket as a Hall of Famer in the Pro Football Hall of Fame of Canton, Ohio. What's up, big man? Man, I, enjoying life, bro. But before we get going, man, I got to say yes, this. Sir. We get, yeah. I don't, don't want to take over the show, but I am. No, no, no. Here we okay. go. I just wanted to say, the way you get into a man's heart, <laughs> is, I'm going to cry. Just one tear. It's okay. Right? It's just okay. one tear. You got to talk? Just right. one. The way you get to a man's heart is that you just, you provide a little bit of makers. Yes. And you're there. We have to start, by the way with your first day at ESPN, okay? Darren Woodson is coming in because it's, it's the middle of summer of 2006, 2005, one of those years. And you're here to air quote, observe. Watch right. me and Schlereth and everybody else do NFL Live, see how it goes, and just sort of take it all in, right? Well, things change, right? right. That was the day that Jerry Rice, arguably the greatest football player to ever live, Retired. And so suddenly everybody at ESPN is like, whoa, Jerry Rice just retired. We got Darren Woodson in the building. The Cowboys and Niners rivalry in the 90s was the greatest thing in the history of football. We've got to get you on camera now talking about Jerry Rice. So you came on NFL Live and it was great, did that. Yeah. But back in the day, they used to do this thing called instant analysis. Oh, yeah. Instant analysis where mm -hmm. they ask the analyst one question and he's just supposed to look in the camera and they say, talk for 30 to 45 seconds and then just stop. Like anybody in their right mind has a stopwatch in their head that just Absolutely. says, is this 30 seconds? Is this 45 seconds? I don't know. So that was the hardest thing we asked anybody to do. And we, we asked you to do it on your first day. First How day. did that go? 
Yeah, how did yeah, that go? I can tell you how it went. Take 875. <laughs> That's where we ended up. I mean, I almost lost my relationship. I just barely met you and, and, and Mark Schlereth that day and almost lost my relationship because you guys had to wait on me to get to the next segment. So we had yeah. another, there was another segment that was going to take place after my little instant analysis. And it was, I don't know how many times you said, okay, I'll just tee you up on this. Yeah, yeah. I just breathe. Just give the, <laughs> you, did, you did the lip exercise with me too. The, you know, you did all that. Let them loose, baby. Let them loose. <laughs> I went through every, you, you tried every coaching move with me through all those takes to get it done. And it's a 30 second take. Well, it's the hardest thing we ask anybody to do. It was yeah. the hardest thing we ask anybody to do. It's not even close. So you did it. You nailed it. Congratulations. I didn't nail it. I did yeah. not nail it. You were Eventually. Like, you know like what you were saying? Okay, you nailed it. That yeah. was good enough. Let's well, move. We'll, Let's go. We accepted it. We moved on. We lived to fight another day. Another one of the great stories that nobody knows. And this, the, 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 you talk about the green room. Because we yeah. set this up before the green room. This was when Jamarcus Russell was having his issues, for lack of a better term. And it turned out. He was into uh, codeine, which, you know, you mix with scissorp, play a potion, <laughs> or the other thing that people called it was purple drank. Purple okay. drank. Not, not, not purple drank, purple drank. So I had to do this lead in on camera about Marcus Russell and his issue with purple drank. And I told Darren before the show, I said, listen, I'm going to lean into this. Okay? <laughs> I'm not just going to say purple drank. I'm going to say purple Frank. <laughs> and you're like, there's no way you're going to do it. You ain't doing it. There's no way you're going to do no, it. So I, we go on the set, we get on the show, and I do it. And Russell didn't have a prescription for the opiate found in his possession, which can be mixed with Sprite and candies to create a cocktail commonly referred to as the Purple Drag. <laughs> I could not, I couldn't stop laughing the entire show where, I guess it's, it's got to be on YouTube where I'm just laughing through the whole show. I, I couldn't stop laughing because you know what? You know what it brought me to? I'm, I'm going to tell you what it brought me to. I, I'm a hood dude. I come from inner city. So I've heard right. people say that purple drank. Like, not this not, face. Not, not that face. But I've heard <laughs> others say purple drank. But for, for Trey Wingo, who's been in the business for 30 some years, the <laughs> professional, the football face of ESPN to come out and say purple drank. I just... It just tore me apart. I was no good the rest of the day. It was a good day. That was a, was good, a good day. day. We, a, a lot day. of times we marked the shows by how much fun we had making them. That was a good was day. A good one. Yeah. So you had a ton of good days as an NFL player, but people might have forgotten your rookie year, you came as a second-round pick out of Arizona State. You were a linebacker at Arizona yeah. State, and they converted you to safety. And you thought you had a really good chance to be a day-one starter in the NFL. And right before the start of the season or the start of training camp, or maybe it was during the season. During training camp. They during traded. Training. It was during the season, right? During training camp? Yeah. They traded for Thomas Everett, the Cowboys yep. did in 1992. And he essentially took over that job. So you won, you won a Super Bowl ring as a rookie, but you were kind of pissed the entire year. Yeah, I wasn't real happy about it. And, 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 and for obvious reasons, but there were so many reasons on the opposite side in which I look back and I start to think uh, and understand why Jimmy ended up saying those words of, I don't trust you. And, and that's the reason why they went out and got Thomas Everett uh, and brought him in. But the reason was I was making a transition for the first time in my life from a linebacker position yeah. to a safety position. And not only was it a transition, was it a, a mental transition from being that close to the line and but playing deeper and being the last line of defense 
and not giving up the big play. And Jimmy was big on don't give up the big play. Catch it in front of you, tackle them, we'll live to see another day. So in the end, I understood it. But at the same time, I just felt like athletically, I had so much more athletic ability than the guys that were playing that position. Right. I felt like a guy that, in, 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 and for all athletes, we have this, this innate feel about us to always feel like we're the dude. I mean, there's yeah. a, the reason I've got, I made it that to that, that level is because I've always felt like I'm the guy and had extreme confidence in what I was doing. So it, I took it on the chin. I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't like the fact that they brought Thomas in and they started James at, uh, Washington, Washington and they played, you know, Ray Horton and a number of other guys in front of me. And, and my role, I ended up being my role was you cover the tight end, you cover the slot receiver. You're our nickel guy, and you run down on special teams. And for the pride side of me, man, it, it, I took a hit that year because I'd never been in that role. I'd always been, you know, the guy everyone counted on. Yeah, but, but how much did that make you the player you ended up being? Oh, you know what it, ma- what it made me? It made me every day, and I think it was a part of Jimmy's plan. It was like that dig. It was that needle in my, in my side every day to yeah. know that every day I had to go out there and bust my ass every single day for practice. It had to be a situation where I had this chip on my shoulder every day, even to the point where they were telling me, hey man, you need to chill out. Like you're yeah. going way over the top here. And you, you know what that it, sounds like, Darren? That, that sounds like Tom Brady. That's, absolutely. Sounds a lot like Brady. And that's not, and that's not just the Brady, so many other guys that I've seen come in the league who had the same chip. The, the, the following year, we drafted Brock Marion in the fifth round. Yeah. And he had the same attitude. And I, I, there were times when Brock came in, I was like, hey, man, you need to chill out. Like, yeah. and everybody's like, that wait, you? that was you. That yeah. was you the year before. So <laughs> totally get it. But that's, that's what makes you who you are. You make this, this decision to say, hey, I'm going to be the best at what I do. And I am the guy on this team. All right. So if, if the rivalry was really the Cowboys and the Niners in the 90s in the NFC, the sub rivalry, was the Cowboys and the Packers. It seems like you guys played every year in the postseason and a couple of times in the regular season as well. And we got to tell the Brett Favre story. Oh, yeah. Oh, got okay. You, man. Yeah. So, so all week long, they're prepping. Was this a, play- was a playoff game or was it a regular season game? I think it was uh, a regular, regular season game. Season game. And, and they basically had, they put in one blitz specifically for you, right? Yeah. They put in one blitz for you, but they gave you one specific instruction on that blitz. What was it? Do not lose contain. Do not allow him to Brett Favre, number four, to get outside of you. Contro- to make sure he stays in the pocket on this blitz. And Mike Zimmer is the one in the entire week says you have one job. No, and the blitz is called Snake Blitz. Yeah. So I heard it, it came in Snake Blitz, and I was like, oh, they're not going to pick it up. I'm going to hit him yeah. right in the face. You know. So so Mike Zimmer, now the Mike Vikings head coach, your current defensive coordinator. Yeah. So they call the Snake Blitz. You see it coming, and I'm going to let you tell the rest in all of your glory. Okay, so I see it. And they call it snake blitz. I'm loving it. I'm like, oh, I'm so hyped about this. I know I'm going to hit him in the face. And the back's offset the other way. It's like the perfect setup for me. So I come on, and, and at the time, I'll be honest with you, Brett wasn't really good at picking up blitzes. Correct. You know, he, <laughs> he, he didn't know game. what a nickel package was his first few years <laughs> as a starter. I mean, let's just be honest. He didn't. <laughs> yeah, so – I'm going to be the hero. So I come off the edge uh, on, the bl- on this blitz, and Brett does not see me. Favre is looking the opposite direction. And I know I'm going to hit him right in the chest. And then all of a sudden, bam, he disappears. 
and he's outside of me. Oh and no! All I can hear in my mind, I can hear his voice, Mike Zimmer, saying, "What the fuck?" I can hear <laughs> him on the side. <laughs> so I'm trying. I can get around. I'm trying to chase him. Brent's running towards the sideline. He throws. And this was going down the Cowboys sideline. This going down, chasing the, Cowboys him down the Cowboys sideline. Yes, and I can, you know, I can hear Zimmer bitching. Yeah, and I'm, I'm chasing him. He throws a ball twenty. And you know, only way Barf can throw a ball like a laser beam twenty yards down the field. Gets the first down. This is the third down play. Gets the first down. They move the change, and Zimmer is just looking at me like crazy. And I, I turn around. I'm just running back to the field, right? So I start to run back, and I'm end up running alongside of Brett and he looks at me and he puts his arm on, hits me on the, on the shoulder patty. And I look at him and he says, you know what? This white boy can run. And I thought, <laughs> you know, it was, it's the reason why I love playing against Brett Favre because it didn't matter what the situation was. He was a kid playing a game. Yeah. He just, he just loved the game that much that, you know, he wink at you during the game and he'd say certain things, man. But it was it was a joy. Like he's one of my favorite players to ever play against because you know what you're getting every time you played against. That white boy could run. This white that boy white boy could run. Could, this white boy could too, brother. Can, can move this now. white boy cannot run. But this <laughs> white boy has some really good questions he wants to ask you after the break. So we'll fill our glass. And we'll get back to the real reason why Darren is here. What if the Cowboys of the 90s existed in the era of social media. Dear sweet Lord, we'll be right back. Here at Half Forgotten History, our surprisingly great conversations are brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs. Like our Hall of Fame guests choosing the perfect never before told story to share with our listeners. Look, you need a team that supports you and gets you. And State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back with Darren Woodson here again. A toast to you, sir, for being on the show. And let's get right down to it. The Dallas Cowboys of the 90s might have been one of the most talented teams in the history of the NFL. Three out of four Super Bowls, three out of four, the first team to ever do that. The Patriots of the aughts would eventually catch you in that. But you guys were the first to win three out of four, including back-to-back in Super Bowls 27 and Super Bowls 28. But the untold story of how the Cowboys were able to do that was they were able to do that in spite of themselves. Mm. You guys were a walking Vegas sideshow for the most part in the 90s. The stuff that went on with the Cowboys in the 90s is legendary. And I always have asked you this question before. Can you imagine the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s and the things that you got away with and put up with in the age of social media? How would have that played out? There is no team. I don't know yeah. if there's – look, I don't know if we would have had enough players to actually line up and play on Sunday. And I'm not – you know, if I tell all the stories, I'm incriminating myself. You know, right. I, I just, there's so much that, that took place on that team just within the locker room. I'm not even talking like after practice. In the locker room itself, the things that took place would have disqualified certain players from walking out on that field on Sunday. But it was – and you have to give Jimmy Johnson credit. He, he pulled 
all these personalities, whether it be Charles Haley or Michael Irvin or Nate Newton, and I mean, there's so many, and Eric Williams, so many guys with huge personalities who are extremists. Uh, early on, I was a little bit one. I was one of those uh, that were extremists and had our own little things that we like to do outside of, of football. Uh, I couldn't imagine having cameras or an iPhone or whatever it may be that, you know, back in those days, because we would have, we would have never have been able to line up with that, with that team. I, there's no way we were, we're winning Super Bowl. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody knows a few of the stories and we know about the White House, a little place y'all had to go to relax and meet some people for lack of a better term. It was a meet and greet. It was just a meet and greet. Just a different level of meet and greet, if we're really honest about it. Uh, And then there's Nate, by the way. One of my favorite stories about Nate was, you know, Nate was everybody loved Nate as a quote because he was a big, fat, funny guy. Right now, God bless him. He's thinned down. Amazingly, he looks great. He's got his life in order, all that kind of stuff. But even after he stopped playing, he had him some issues. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he got caught twice with a van full of weed that would have, you know, kept a lot of fraternities like in, in business for about a year and a half. Pounds. You really went over that, like 405, 500 pounds of weed. Well, That's- I mean, if you're going in, go in, right? Go That's why I appreciate Nate. Like, I, I respect that. If you're going to dive in, you're diving in. And one of the great things about Nate, the second time he got caught, I think he had his perp walk and he's got his cuffs on. He just looks in the TV camera and says, don't be kind to Big Nate. Don't be kind to Big Nate because I was good to you all those years. Oh, so what, what's the story we don't know that you feel comfortable telling us? Uh, I got to tell this one, man, because it just popped up because I was talking about Nate. But you, I don't know if you remember Derek Kennard. Oh, absolutely. Number okay. 60. 60. And Derek Kennard, if Nate weighed 360, Derek Kennard was 365, 370. Like, they would have these, little, these fat guy jokes go back and forth. So we're in the locker room one day, and our locker room was a square. And you can see the offensive guys are on one side, defense is on the other side. So Derek Kennard came in one day, and again, it had to be 360, 365. He was wearing some, un- like, I, they weren't even underwear, brother. I, yeah. He stayed the night somewhere else last night because he had, like, <laughs> a back on or something. And you can see you could see it from the opposite room how his ass was swallowing up this tea back, right? He oh stayed upstairs. God. It was not his. It was somebody yeah. else that had to be a, a big one. He he was wrestling with some a big one the night before, but <laughs> she had a tea back that he just borrowed it, and oh. it was oh my! God. And that locker room was in an uproar. That's Look, that man. was that locker room. Spandex is a right. It's not a privilege. I mean, it's a privilege, <laughs> not a right, and it's not for everybody. There's just there's just no way about that. By the way, of all the things you would borrow from a, from a person you may not know very well, that may be the last thing I'd say, I'm going to put this on. I'm going to do this, right? <laughs> that might be the last item. I'll take a shoe, a sock, a that shirt. That is a dream compliment. You know yeah, what? I ain't staying away from that. Oh, man, Big Baby didn't. He loved him some, some uh, DK dog. I mean, lo- it did not even shy away from it. Yeah. Turned around, well, frontward, and like, yeah, this is me. <laughs> Deal with it. Uh, the other thing, everybody knows Michael and his problems he got into, and Charles Haley's certifiable and glad he's doing things better. And, and obviously, Eric had the car crash. But people m- may not know, the guy that really was the ringleader of all that stuff wasn't Michael Irvin. No. It wasn't Charles Haley. It was Harp. Yeah. 
Yeah. Harper Alvin Harper, bad. Alvin Harper took it to another level, another level. And, you know, Harp, God bless Harp. I mean, you talk about a damn good, probably one of the best athletes I've ever been around. Could jump 45 inches, could go up and get balls, do whatever you wanted to do. Uh, but at the same time, Harp had the, that wild side about him that was something you couldn't, but he did it in a way where he wasn't flamboyant about it. You know, right. Mike was the flamboyant one. So if Harp no. the hell Mike, you say, then elevate it. He elevated the game. But Hart was very quiet about it. Uh, tried to do it the right way without anybody really knowing about it. <laughs> it was just that once he started it, he had so many personalities that just took it to that next level. But, you, you know, Hart would run in a jock strap. <laughs> we would run 110s leading up to training camp. So what we had before training camp, we had to do a, a, a conditioning test. And back then it was either, I think it was 24, 24 110s. Yeah, no, oh. actually, actually, I take it back. It was 18 110s. We did 18 Either 110s. way. So we would train in the offseason for the conditioning test. He would wear his cleats, spat his cleats up with tape, and just wear a jockstrap and run. And it was like aerodynamics. Hilarious. Dude, that's, that was Hart. Like, that was, yeah. Hart was that dude. Like, crazy Again, wild. again all in. So as you look back and know the things that you went through that we talked about and the things we cannot talk about, is it amazing to you at all that you guys were able to do what you did, especially Super Bowl 30? Because let's be honest, I mean, God bless Barry Switzer. I think he's awesome. I love talking to him. He's tremendous. You guys won that year, not because of Barry, but in spite of Barry. Yeah, yeah, I I would say that. You know, and look, it wasn't Barry's fault that he could never surround himself with his coaching staff. Like Barry Switzer right. came into a situation where there was no way he was going to have true success or, or be able to have uh, any, any type of success based on the fact that he took over Jimmy Johnson's staff who yeah. previously had already won two Super Bowls. So imagine walking in to a very successful team with a ton of alpha dogs. And now you have, you know, now you're qualified to take on this team. He was never, he was never in a win-win situation. So that, that's one thing. But if we're talking about that, that, I always say that team, Super Bowl 30 was our worst team of the three. Oh, far. Not even close. Yeah. It wasn't even close. We were on the down side of that, that team. The one reason we, the, we had some luck go our way late in the season, yep. in which San Francisco lost late. Lost uh, to the Rams. Yes, the Rams, late in the season. So. We, we ended up getting home field advantage by winning a, a game in Arizona. But one thing I can always remember is that, and Michael Irvin used to always say this. He said, once we get in the tournament, all we need to do is get in the tournament. Right. Once we get in the tournament, we're going to win this damn thing. Because we had these personalities on the team that once we got in, it was like, oh, shit, we're here. Yeah. Let's get it. Let's eat. And we had so much talent in and guys who had that drive to win. And I would say, you know, even the 92, 93 teams, you know, much better football teams. So deep. There was a drive. There was something about each day at practice. Like practice was, I used to always say practice was harder than games. I couldn't wait to play the Falcons because, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we hit. We didn't have shorts and, you know, just shorts and shells. It was fully loaded. 
Jimmy Johnson yelling and screaming Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, and then Sunday came along. He was like, hey, go have fun. And we were like, hell yeah, we're going to eat today. So that, that was the feeling of that football team. He just built uh, a different fever of a, of, of a team that had a different, lot of alpha dog personality. Listen, I, I contend to this day that a free agency hadn't started after the 92 season, that Dallas Cowboys team could have won four straight Super Bowls yes. because I mean, you, you look at the, the just the French, uh, the free agents that you guys lost and you couldn't keep everybody. That 92 team might have been the deepest roster anybody has ever seen. Uh, and you guys, you, you guys were hell on wheels, man. It was fun to watch you guys. And it was fun to get to know the stories behind the guys that you watched in the 90s. So, Darren, man, always a pleasure to talk to you. Appreciate you taking time out today, oh, brother. Oh, so, hey. love you, big sensei. I, I can't even call you Trail. This has been my sensei forever. Like my dude, like taught me everything about being on TV and all. And and man, I can't appreciate you guys enough over there at Blue Duck for sending your boy this. Well, listen, and to that point, like when he when you're in Darren's club, you're in Darren's club. Short story: 2009, I went down to. I took my son and a friend of his to Dallas to see a Cowboys game, first one at the new stadium. He's like, no, 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 you ain't staying in a hotel. You're coming to my house. Went to your house, went out to dinner, had a blast. So one, listen, when you're in with Darren Woodson, that's a good guy to be in. Yeah. Cheers, brother. All Cheers. Right, brother. That'll do it for this edition of Half Forgotten History. Once again, I thanks to my boy, Darren Woodson. Uh, for him coming on the show and indulging me with some of those great stories, we're sending a check to Ronald McDonald House in his honor. And thanks to Makers Mark, remember to pour yourself into everything that you do and reach for a bourbon made with that personal touch. In fact, why don't you pour yourself a glass right now and we'll raise it to these incredible athletes who continue to join us and tell us about these amazing stories. And remember, Makers Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. All they ask is that you enjoy it the same. Coming up next time, we're going to talk to a guy who made an incredible catch in Super Bowl 46 and also at the same time took one of the worst photos ever. What were they thinking? Of course, we're talking about Giants wideout Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz.